sort of explore creativity. We piss people off. You know, who has access to art? An ephemeral queer space. You're just mm -hmm. like, you get this crazy idea and you're like, yeah, we can do this. <laughs> if not now, when? Hello and welcome to episode two of the Third Space Gallery podcast. I'm your host, Abigail Smith. Today's episode, Gripping the Arts, on bringing disability and accessibility out of a box to check on a forum and into the reality of art spaces and art practices. To quote Christiana Meyer's 2019 article on the complexity of cripping the arts in Canadian art magazine, to crip the arts is to embrace the ways that disability can disrupt the status quo and lead with difference. By cripping or subverting, the language used within the arts, exclusionary or patronizing tropes related to disability can be dismantled, allowing access and inclusion to be standardized, terminology to be reclaimed, artists and audiences to be empowered, and proper representation to be achieved. First, I interview Isabel Vautour on her practice and thoughts on accessibility. And I was actually so excited to talk to this artist, I neglected to ask her to introduce herself. So this interview just jumps right in. And she was wonderful to chat with. I've been really happily following her work ever since. After that is my conversation with Christiana Myers about arts organizations evolving relationships with accessibility practices. Thank you for listening and please enjoy the show. shift um my i've always had an interest in accessibility and events but i i found it was a really neat and strange pivot for uh, covid because i found that it ended up making the festival the most accessible it's ever been because yes. um, we we put more things online and we um it it i found that covid kind of is forcing people to put in like descriptions of the space on websites or Facebook pages mm -hmm. like and and a lot of these things it's kind of it's kind of like accessibility notes are coming into the mainstream in that way and finally finally <laughs> exactly and <laughs> and having to consider that from an event point of view I mean in hindsight I don't think that there was a real reason that we didn't have an online component um, yeah I love how people are like oh it makes so much sense I'm like that's what we've been telling you <laughs> yeah can you talk a little bit about your work in that in that sense have you been uh doing accessibility advocacy in the arts um yeah i mean i'm a i'm a person with a disability and uh before i started the arts practice i was working in um at cnib uh it's a nonprofit that helps it's like a disability support organization mm -hmm. And I worked uh, with uh, mental health, like at uh, with Chimo Helpline. So I learned a lot about the community and you know various people trying to access services. And to me, it's like it's always been in the forefront of my mind to um, see what's preventing people from from accessing the services that they need. Right? Like I worked at well, I was an intern at the Beaverbrook Art Gallery. And uh, 
it was, um, what was it called? Uh, audience development intern. And basically my role was to look at all the feedback that the Beaverbrook had from the years. Uh, you know, some of them were complaints, some of them were highlights, you know, whatever. And my job was to translate these complaints and feedback to how we can improve our services. And a lot of it was kind of accessibility. Mm. <laughs> so like, yeah, you know, like this, you know, if you had a, a plan and a thing going forward, that would be good, right? So I find a lot of organizations have, um, it's like an add-on. They're like, oh yeah, we, we need to add that in. It's like, no, you probably should have did that from the jump and that would have helped a lot. But, you know, mm. adding in afterwards, I mean, it's better than nothing. <laughs> Right. Like I I, under, I appreciate that sometimes the disability access or access in general is considered kind of like a bonus or like maybe something you put on a grant application to beef it up, which is which is really short sighted because in arts organizations, people are always wondering how to get how to reach a wider audience. And it seems like that would be a really good place to have started with if, if more people could be yeah, in the building. I mean, it's the largest minority group. Uh, that anyone can be a part of, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, why wouldn't you? And especially in New Brunswick, we're the second highest uh, percentage of persons with disabilities. So it's like, like, and I was looking at, like, the arts world, and a lot of other provinces have, like, um, for example, a disability arts festival. And I'm like, oh, that's so, so cool. So I tried to apply to them, but, of course, I'm not in their province, so I wasn't able to access it. And I'm like, why don't we have that? You know, like what, how could we make that happen? You know what I mean? Like, mm. what do you think the, definitely. what do you think the barrier would be for something like that to happen in New Brunswick? I am, um, I'm not, I think maybe, I don't know if it's a barrier, but it's just people just didn't think about it or it's not something maybe that, you know, like I feel like um, other provinces are most of the other provinces are bigger city centers and there's more uh, organizations that are advocating for disability issues and we I mean we have some but it's not as dynamic as other places mm. like like Halifax is certainly bigger than than us I mean it's not that much bigger but they still have a lot of services that we don't and I feel like that's probably a catalyst to to some of these things yeah, Maybe? absolutely. I'm. I think that like, the, it would be really interesting <laughs> to see an event like that happen in in New Brunswick or in the Maritimes because I think that the there's issues of access that are really specific to the Maritimes that would be really wonderful to see tackled from an artistic point of view. Mm. What do you think those are? I don't. I think that like the the one thing I I notice a lot like I'm I'm based in St. John and. Uh, there's there's not a lot of resources to begin conversations about access I find as when you're trying mm -hmm. to have events or putting them in like you know one thing that we're very proud of St. John in St. John is our beautiful uptown um, yeah but uptown is really inaccessible it's a lot of hills a lot of narrow doorways and really old buildings uh, mm -hmm. not a lot of elevators and so I mean it's it's hard it's hard when you start thinking about that stuff, but it's not impossible, and it, it is out there. I think that it just needs to get uh, talked about a bit more. Yeah, I think if there was, like, a dedicated space or a dedicated person to do these things, you know what I mean? Like, a, 
yeah absolutely every company would have a, a sort of person in charge of that sort of thing that would be super <laughs> because it, it does take a lot of time it does take a careful attention it's not like a one and done sort of thing it's like you need to constantly evaluate from situation to situation and it's like you know when people talk about accessibility there's like um the maybe 10 cliche things you know like oh the the ramps the wheelchairs mm. the, the braille the, and it's like okay but it's like I'm not saying that's not important, but I'm saying there's way more to it than just that, right? Yeah, absolutely. In the, um, <laughs> I know that uh, when the Imperial Theater was still putting on live shows, they started making available some um, sensory sensitive options. Um, cool. I know that that's an yeah. op- that's like a thing I've seen more often in like grocery stores, where there, there are mm-hmm. like times when when the lights are turned down and the music isn't as loud and and those are the things where I always start thinking like what you know accessibility measures really make it better for everyone because in that instance specifically in a grocery store I think it's just like a much more comfortable shopping experience for anyone yeah but I wonder how that translates into the arts like how we think about what we're especially with like audience participation or um or or even art therapy I know that that's something that's of interest to you yeah, I mean, in terms of audience participation, there's a couple things there. Like, for example, a lot of the things that I've noticed, like applying for grants, um, a lot of it's not in plain language. You need, you know, a specific background to try to understand, you know. So if you're an artist with a disability and you don't know, you don't have a background in disability arts, it's like, oh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, you know what I mean? It's like you, you almost... And it's tricky because there's like, um, how would I say that? There's um, just disability in the media is tricky in general because there's all these uh, misunderstandings and tropes and, you know, things that are are hard to talk about, right? Like there's, um, there's a lot of ableist ideas and you don't want to accidentally kind of, you know, tap into that. So it's hard to like, you'd almost need a history of like, hey, this, these are the these are the things um I'm not expressing myself well here no I you you are I promise I, I think I know exactly what you mean like the it's kind of like a it's kind of like feminism right like if you're if you're trying to do feminist art without a background or information on it it's like well it's hard to kind of contribute to that conversation if that makes sense absolutely without the kind of historical context um which is really important and should be like more widely known. And it's like, I don't, I haven't seen like a dedicated course to that. Like from I've, I've uh, interviewed uh, Colin Hanbrook from the UK and he works for, um, was it disability arts online? And we were talking about that and I was like, so like, is there a place where I can learn about this history? You know what I mean? Like, I want to know what, what, what's, what, what's out there and he's like well he's like there's some art history courses that have like a little section about it and I'm like hmm so (laughs) why couldn't that little section be taken out and become a dedicated thing you know what I mean like that's my question like yeah like and and he was he was saying like a lot of disability art was more performance based 
So he's like, historically, like the visual arts, I mean, there is some, but it's not as big as the performance uh, uh, aspect. Like, um, for example, people uh, in wheelchairs dancing, for mm. example, or like you mentioned, the sensory sort of theater or, you know, a lot of it's uh, the theater or the dance or that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but there's certainly visual arts as well. And it's all very interesting, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'd love to research this and compile some sort of, you know, tool for people and be like listen this is a thing that exists like isn't this cool and what do you think and how could you add to this conversation you know what I mean like yeah absolutely like a like a disability and art directory but I think that like to to bring it back to your practice um you you're a painter and I know that you do some work with photography as well does the photography always relate to the painting or um does it stand alone (laughs) Um, I mostly do uh, pictures for reference. Um, I I have a visual impairment, so it's hard for me to say if my photography stands alone because I'm like, I think it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it's a high quality res image. Or like, I don't, I don't know these little details, right? So that's another barrier to... Um, <laughs> Just me being being able to appraise my own work. I don't know how. I can't. Like it's not. I don't know. It's, I shouldn't say that. I don't have the ability to do those things. Mm. Like um, I was speaking to a um, a curator, and um, <clears throat> she wanted. Uh, we were talking about maybe having a partnership with her gallery, and she was. She lives in PI, and I live in New Brunswick, so you know I'm not going to be driving over. You know what I mean? So she's like trying to teach me how to appraise my own work, and I'm like, I'm lost here. I can't tell. She's like, so she came over. We're looking through my stuff, and she's like, well, do you see this here? Like this little uh, crack in the paint. I'm like, no. Like. This uh, this little thing, and I'm like all these little details, and I'm like, oh my god, like no, like I'm gonna need a person to you know help me. Like I have no idea, you know what I mean? Like it, yeah, it is what it is, you know. And I I don't like maybe that's normal for disability art. Like maybe that's part of the thing. I don't know. Like <laughs> yeah, that's fa- right? I mean that's a fascinating proposition. Mm-hmm. It's just the to make a larger context and and like it's just. I mean, art art doesn't exist in a vacuum. Like it, it is ma- made the way it is because of the person that made it and because of their influences and their abilities. So it's like part. Maybe that should be considered in an appraisal. But I under but I understand. You know, like you want to make sure. Like I can I can say the the art was made with quality materials and you know it's archival and blah blah blah. Like that I can certainly mm. do and I can control um you know framing it and whatever but it's like i can't cut a straight line and save my life (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i'm sure that certain things like that become less important (laughs) (laughs) but you know what i mean like it's like i understand the you know the art world is visual and you know it's very um you want to make sure quality but it's like is it that important you know what i mean at the end of the day like if you like a painting, like, and you can't even see the little notch or whatever in it, like, who cares? Like, in my mind, but I mean, I'm not, maybe there's, you know, that's my ignorance. Maybe I don't know enough about the, the art world and how it works, but I, I find there's such a hyper focus on the visual and less focus on the experience of the art itself, right? Yeah. 
because I'm because because when I was thinking of art when I was a kid I was like oh like um it it kind of it drove me nuts because I'm like oh like you know the color theory and all that stuff and I'm colorblind so I'm like I don't <laughs> I don't know how I can participate in this like I can read the label in the in the you know I can tell that this is orange and this is blue and I understand that they're complementary colors mm. but like when I mix them. I don't know if this is the appropriate mix. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I, it, I kind of like, I tried it when I was a kid and I was like, this is not for me. Like, I don't know how to participate in this. Right. And then later on as like two years ago, when I started my art practice, I was like, I wasn't doing it for show. I was doing it for me to have fun. To, I wasn't intending my artwork to be seen. I was like, I'm doing this for like a kind of therapy for me. Right. Mm. So taking the visual out of it kind of helped me get rid of that barrier of like, oh, I can just experience the art for making it for the enjoyment of making it. And then I got, you know, I I, I started like um, seeing like, oh, wow, I can participate in this. I can make things like this is great. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like it became once you shifted focus to like it being about your own experience then it, 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 it sounds like that's when your art really took shape. Yeah, I mean, I guess you need a, a blind person to, to tell you that art isn't all visual. I don't know. No, I, I th- think that's a, a great lesson to learn today. Yeah. is about the experience know. of making it. And certainly as you talk about it being a kind of like a therapy and, and, and taking that pressure off of yourself to make it for someone else. Yeah, because I was thinking about that, like, every other hobby and i'm not saying like i'm like right now it's more it's more it's less of a hobby for me right now and it's more of a actual tradition but um at the at the time when i started it was a hobby but like any other endeavor that people start like say running or yoga or whatever nobody's expecting you to be perfect the first time right like you you go to a learn to run program and people don't get mad of like oh i can't i can't do a can't do a 5k instantly you know nobody says that right they don't have those standards mm. but when art they're like oh they they put a stroke on the page like oh i'm awful it doesn't look like it. i'm like really like why are these standards here like how why are we like i feel like there's a lot of um uh mental blocks here there's a lot of thinking that's preventing people from making art that could be changed that yeah makes sense. the mindset like the artist mindset it's not uh, it's not helpful to or conducive to make art like the standard uh, the way people think about it I find yeah yeah there's a lot like people put a lot of pressure on themselves I think that like that's something that I've noticed with like emerging artists a big part of it the the conversation that you'd have with someone that's just started to make art is is like um, you know to to be confident and be comfortable in the fact that you're learning and and believe that the, the stuff that you're making is good and that also at the same time you're going to improve. Like those two things are not in opposition to each other. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's not just a personal thing. I think that it's also an expectation of the art world, right? There is a, There are appraisals. There are standards. There are like of the competitions, the the call, the call, art calls. There's all these things that the, the jury or the, the people selection committee, whoever are looking for. So it's like, what what is this criteria and why do we have this criteria you know what i mean like oh yeah i like, think that has an influence on it as well i don't think it's just confident like you could be really confident but not 
you know, meet the standards of the society expects you to have, right? Yeah, and and to those people, I would say get into contemporary art because you can do whatever you want. <laughs> oh, is that how? Is that what that is? <laughs> I shouldn't say I'm. I'm just an art. I'm a facilitator of artists. I'm. I'm an artist enabler. I'm not a visual artist myself. Okay. Um, but I think that you are right. Like that pressure doesn't come from nowhere. Like there is. There is a really. Um, intimidating world out there that uh that wants that kind of like demands a certain standard um and finding your own place in that would be really daunting and like what's tricky about the disability component of that is that there is this from what i can understand there's this notion of like disability and art like oh you know like good for you you made a painting and it helps improve your life and there's nothing inherently wrong with that you know like that's great but it it takes it's like it's taking away the credibility of the artist mm, right sort of belittling <laughs> right it, yeah so it's like for example um uh you, you go on a workshop you've never made art before you, you paint you have a disability and then it's an it's in a gallery like wow it's like no that's not that's not appropriate like that's not how that works you know what i mean like yeah like part of access is also <clears throat> not um not tokenizing people Right. So it's like, I understand, but it's tricky because it's like, well, that voice isn't very, is hurt, isn't very heard. I'm not saying that right. But that voice isn't, um, there's not a lot of voices. There's not a lot of things in the media talking about that, I should say. Mm. So the, it's underrepresented, right? So it makes sense to anything that's remotely disability, you want to promote it, right? So I understand that dynamic, but it's like, man, like, you know, it's it's hard to... Like, for me, like, when I had to, I was like, well, do I mention that I have a visual impairment? Like, I feel like I have to because it influences my art, right? Mm. Like, but in the same way, I don't want to mention it because it's like, oh, yeah, like, she, she's blind and she's doing that. Like, isn't that cool? You know, like, I feel like there's a weird tension there. And it's like, I don't know how to express myself in that. And I mean, maybe some artists don't want to deal with all of that. So they don't even bother applying to these things. They're just like, oh, I'm just doing it for me. Like... Mm. you know like you know what I mean I feel like there's some of that going on too yeah like not really wanting to go through the the labor of like disclosing something when you don't really know how it's going to be received or or yeah I mean it's like mo like for me anyway I can't speak for everyone but for me I don't have a problem with the disclosure but it the disclosure leads to other questions that it's like oh man like and then it becomes about that yeah, so as opposed like, to the, about your practice. Right. Again, like feminism, right? Like uh, mm. the, you, you get a political leader and they're talking about her outfit. It's like, okay, like, it's <laughs> not the point of what I'm trying to say. So when I'm talking about art and they're like, well, tell me more about your visual impairment and tell me more about this. And it's like, I mean, I understand for you, it's interesting, it's different. That's fine. And I, I have no real problem talking about it, but I don't like it when it derails the conversation that we're actually having about art and what, you know what I mean? Like, I feel yeah. like sometimes that could occur and it's like, oh, <laughs> Right. Like they're not actually about your work and your practice, but more about, I don't, I don't know, like maybe treating disability as though it's like novel all the, all the, as opposed to what you're saying, which is it's like the, it's the largest minority group. So, yeah. so let's uh, maybe like that, that tension is somewhere between like, like ex wanting accessibility, but not, I don't know, charity. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think the intention is charity. No. Like, it, you know, cause, and, and I feel that. Like, I feel a lot of people, they're, they're not, it's not like, <laughs> what would I say that? A lot of people are afraid to talk about this. Like, they're afraid of offending me or whatever. Like, oh, like, is that okay to say? And it's like, don't worry. Like, I'm not, I understand your intention. Like, I get it. Mm. I'm not I'm not complaining about that I'm just complaining about the systematic problem and I don't see like I'm trying to understand how we can fix that <laughs> yeah mean? like for like, sure you because don't I want... understand like you know it's like it's it, it's out of the ordinary for for because you know but it, it is and it isn't <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a perfect way to put it it, it is and it isn't <laughs> Yeah, and uh, what? So, can I ask you about your work in art th- in art therapy? You you mentioned a couple organizations you worked for. Are you an art therapist? No, I'm not an art therapist. Um, I just had an interest in art therapy, and like I was saying before, about that's how I originally kind of started my practice. And again, I wasn't like, oh, I'm an artist and I'm gonna start my practice. It was more like. I'm a depressed person and I want to get over the winter blues. Let's try art therapy. <laughs> like it was more of that. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and yeah, I, I learned that it definitely made me a less gloomy person doing those paintings. And it helped me, you know, get some confidence of like, wow, like, yeah, sure. You know, part of this day sucked, but Hey, I made this thing. And I kind of like, I wasn't expecting that it, I would like it. You know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. Um, and I, uh, I did some art as therapy, which is different than art therapy. So it's kind of like just using uh, some principles of art therapy and creating art for the therapeutic effects uh, in group work. So I, I did that with the craft college. I did a few workshops there and I did uh, with Serenity Wellness as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's a serenity role. This is pretty cool. Like they have a, it's a massage therapist, and she decided to combine massage therapy and like actually like talk therapy at the same time. So, and then she's interested in integrating all kinds of different components of wellness. So she approached me, and she's like, "Hey, you're an artist, you know? Like, seem to have an interest in art and therapy. Like, did you want to partner up?" And I'm like, "Sure, you know." It was pretty cool. That's really interesting. Was that was that combined with um with a massage component? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> but that would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure out how that worked, but um, but that is really I appreciate that person's res- um approach, which is wanting to do like something really holistic. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you know what I mean. She um because massage is a is a therapeutic thing as well, right? So. Mm-hmm. And therapy, obviously, is therapeutic. And she, she noticed, like, when she was giving people massages that, like, they were they were talking about, you know, things. She's like, oh, man, like, I feel like maybe a psychologist would be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so she combined them, and it was like, wow, that's really cool. And that sort of innovation is what I really appreciate about uh, some entrepreneurs and some people um, in, in organizations. And I feel like that's the sort of thinking that enables accessibility. Yeah, like that's what I'm after is that sort of like, how could we do this differently? And what, what if we did this and that, that finding those links, because that mindset, that attitude is what helps create accessibility. And that's, you know, that's the main thing for me anyway. Absolutely. I, I, I super identify with that, that, that mindset of, of, you know, noticing that something in your field is happening that is 
unexpected, but like an op- seeing these things as like opportunities, like as opposed to a, a massage therapist saying like, wow, these people are really unloading on me. I wish they would stop. <laughs> you know, she, her, her <laughs> attitude was, wow, this yeah. is a real component of this work. Like, why, how, let's get into that. Let's let's beef that up. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I just learned about this uh, tattoo parlor in uh, BC, I think, that ha- mm-hmm. had um, uh, they provided some a workshop for their staff um, about trauma disclosure. So like to give their oh. ta- uh, staff the tools to hear people's like kind of rough stories because some people get tattoos for, for really, you know, personal yes. reasons and yes. they want to talk about it. So they, they notice that their staff yeah, that was... Yeah, semicolon thing. Have you seen that? The semicolon? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this was... I thought that was so cool because I think that that's a real component of, of tattoo artists' work is that they're hearing people's personal stories and, and this uh, mm-hmm. the shop wanted to give them the the tools to be able to do that so safely and and just to yeah I think I thought it was so cool to acknowledge like this is a part of our artist's job yeah and I mean that's kind of what accessibility is it's, it's like seeing a problem or seeing where people aren't getting their needs met and it's like finding a solution to that but that's not how we that's not how we talk about it that's not how it's phrased and it's like who are the the people who do this naturally it's like artists so it's like that's kind of what I'm trying to build here. Like I want, like, almost want to develop this creativity skill. So it's like in the community, and it's like, oh yeah, like it's it becomes just a natural thing. Like, oh, how can we help you do this? You know? Yeah, like the artist mindset is that is one that allows for like problem solving and innovation, and 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 not I don't know, not taking no for an answer, maybe. <laughs> Persistence? Persistence, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My name is Christiana Myers, and I am a St. John based curator, writer, artist, um, creative supporter, slash practitioner. Um, yeah, I teach uh, writing at the New Brunswick College of Craft and Design, and I work in the education department at the New Brunswick Museum. Awesome! Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Your uh, your little CV there is, is so has such wide reach. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Have your hand in a little bit of everything. Um, yeah, I feel like that's typical of curators, maybe. I think so. I think it's also definitely like an Atlantic Canadian thing where everyone's just like constantly doing everything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The I think like maritime identity is like uh, tied up a lot in gigging. <laughs> yeah, we all wear like 15 hats. <laughs> yeah, I guess it does get confusing sometimes. But that's also like in a in an organization setting. I think that's how a lot of stuff gets done. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm also in charge of that thing that just got brought up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, thank you so much for talking to me today. I'm I'm really happy. I'm excited about this episode. I, I spoke to Isabel, mm-hmm. who you connected me with, and our conversation was really wonderful. Um I I mainly wanted to talk about it just um because I revisited your article from twenty nineteen in Canadian art about the Cripping the Arts Symposium that you went to in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um 
correct me if I'm wrong, but it must, that must feel like a million years ago. <laughs> it Yeah, it kind of does. I actually just reread it in preparation for this. And I was like, wow, what a different time. <laughs> yeah, like being in a room, <laughs> being in many rooms with many people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Being part of an audience, um, being in Toronto period. Crazy times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it sounded like such a like that symposium sounded really amazing and, and super impactful. And I um and your article is kind of like a roundup of like major takeaways from the from the weekend. And I guess I wanted to kind of revisit some of the themes um in a pandemic context and a maritime one. I know we've talked a little bit about this recently, about it's been kind of front of mind for me. Um thinking about how or- arts organizations can kind of apply cripping principles now mm-hmm. um, in a pandemic response, but kind of looking beyond that as well. Um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on kind of the like subversiveness of like cripping an art space and, and how that translates to kind of a pandemic context. For sure. Um, so I recently published an article in C Magazine's Gather issue that was called Crip Hope. And it was basically exploring um, the pandemic and its relationship to kind of like the demands of disabled arts communities. So basically that there were all of these um accommodations or changes or adaptations that were like suddenly fast-tracked as a result of the pandemic because access needs became the concern of like the masses or the generally speaking non-disabled public Um, and these were all things that disabled communities had been requesting for a long time like digital access to collections uh, putting recordings of things online just hosting online events in general Uh, Even like as institutions start to reopen, there's new sanitization practices and distancing and all these things like sensory stuff is going to change because there won't be so many people. Um, So all of these things that were basically like ignored and put off as luxuries or, oh, yeah, we'd love to get to that kind of thing were like priority number one. And there was all these human resources and financial resources kind of being funneled into this stuff. Um, And then I was kind of looking at how we can take so much from kind of like crippling the arts, this idea of disrupting the status quo and use that um, moving forward to make institutions more accessible across many spectrums, not, not just to these kind of like what the the institutions often deem niche audiences or specialized audiences. Mm. Yeah, I I can, it's been really front of mind for me because I think we talked about this with like seeing um, businesses, arts organizations or otherwise, it's so widespread for people to publish like their COVID protocols of spaces and that's just seemingly it read to me like suddenly there's like accessibility notes everywhere because people take the time to describe what their space looks like and what it's like to navigate it um yeah I love that that like blew my mind when you were talking to me about that (laughs) yeah it seems so like and it's crazy to me now that like and I guess that's just how it works you can't you can't in hindsight you can't really imagine why you ever did it any different but um 
like with third shift as a great example like I don't it seems to I can't it feels like we always had um an online component Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, I don't really know why we didn't. But I mean, you know, obviously, like things move pretty quickly and an in-person event is is a lot of work. But but yeah, it's kind of exciting now to see how to kind of embrace that change instead of seeing it, it as like a necessary sort of obligation, like instead of just doing getting like accessibility as something that you have in like a, a grant report or as like an added bonus, like you say, like to actually see how that could totally change programming. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really like thinking about it in terms of it's not an accommodation anymore. It's a different method of access, like creating many ways into the same content or the same project. Um, Cause not everything, not even accessibility measures work for everybody across the board, but rather than making it a secondary or um, like less good version Mm. of the experience, you're creating all these different pathways and that benefits everybody. The more that you start building it into each step of the planning process, the better it's going to be and the more people you're going to get involved with your event or your exhibition or installation or whatever it is. And then it's just going to get richer as a result of having all those folks involved. Yeah, especially in especially where like arts organizations are often having like like sort of do or die conversations about how to get people in the door and like, mm-hmm. you know, either literally or or metaphorically, like I think that a lot of arts organizations are concerned about engagement and like trying to get more people to to attend their events or to engage with their programming and it seems like accessibility would be maybe like the, a, a really good way to get a giant swath of people who otherwise couldn't access your stuff yeah absolutely and it the secondary benefit of that is like national reach or reach beyond your immediate geographic area because um, it's kind of creating this like more global way of us to converse like it's no longer weird to attend an artist talk from an artist run center in Alberta, whereas before that would have seemed really like, you know, an exception to the rule sort of thing. So I think this is like just the beginning of us being able to like network and communicate outside of our little like maritime bubble, not COVID bubble, but like, mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially where like sometimes the maritimes, we kind of feel like we're on the moon um, and not <laughs> not connecting to the rest of Canada. Um, mm-hmm. This is kind of addresses that issue because we're we're able to connect in a, a really meaningful way, um, or even in our own communities. Like I think it's a really interesting outreach opportunity. Yeah, for sure. I think it also like takes a lot of that um, pressure out of it. Like the reason that people often don't go into contemporary art spaces is because they find them intimidating or that they're not going to understand it or whatever. And, um, having the opportunity to like engage with some of the programming from the comfort of your home or wherever you are, um, before you venture into that community and are like forced to interact with people or talk to people or, um, perform whatever the, perceived etiquette of a contemporary art space is it kind of works to break down those 
social barriers too. Mm, yeah, that's such a good point too, especially for for folks that are like not accustomed to like being in an art space. Like as opposed to getting people used to that, it, it's like, like a good mindset to try to figure out the ways that your organization is maybe unknowingly intimidating people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because just by saying that like you're free and open to the public, like that's not the same thing as being welcoming to all members of the public. There's still so many invisible barriers in place with all cultural events. Yeah, absolutely. And like not and and putting yourself in the position to say like, oh, well, we're open to input is not is not really the same as like genuinely um, asking for for people's like, you know, input on an event or or actually including people during the during the um, planning process whose whose insights could be valuable or, you know, paying an organization to to help you out. Like, I think that where people's budgets are getting kind of reimagined right now that there's like, I mean, there's never any money, but <laughs> I can imagine that that there's uh, there's ways to get creative. Thank you for listening to the Third Space Gallery podcast. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Abigail Smith, with invaluable support from St. John's only campus and community radio station, Local 107.3 FM. Our logo is by Judd Crandall of Pulp and Paper Design, and our theme song is Norwood Falls by Wangled Teb. Thank you to the Third Space Gallery Board of Directors and our Executive Director, Kathleen Buckley. For more information about the gallery and our ongoing programming, head to thirdspacegallery.ca. Thanks for listening. Thank you.